That's wonderful. You know, I've been so excited preparing for this series, and every year we try to do a marriage series and family, uh, those topics right after Easter. If you'll hang with this for the next four weeks, it's a five-week series all the way through Mother's Day. Uh, we're gonna be talking about different things. Number one, we're gonna be talking about how to resolve conflict. H how do you deal with it when you and your spouse are on two different pages? Some of you say, Pastor, we're not on two different pages, we're in two different orbits. Well, we're gonna help you too. How do you deal with communication issues? We're gonna talk about communication. We're, we're gonna talk about uh, how, how marriage is intended from God's design. See, here, here's what my prayer is. My prayer is that we all grow in intimacy. We grow in relationship with our spouse, those of you that are married. Now, see, I believe this with all of my heart. Just like in the beginning of the year, here's what I say. I, my prayer is for me to get closer to Christ at the end of this year than in the beginning. I believe it's the same thing true in marriage. I believe that your marriage, can, you can grow stronger and stronger. We don't believe that there's a conflict-free marriage. We don't believe that you'll never go through trials, but we do believe you can grow in intimacy and love and selflessness as you serve your spouse. Let me just talk about two more things before we jump into the message. Uh, number one, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be doing a message I've never done before on a weekend. We're gonna be talking about uh, sex from God's design and purity. Now, I wanna say just a couple of things about that. Uh, we do have a children's church, fifth grade and down. I would say for the sixth graders uh, and up, let me just tell you something. They're hearing it at school. They're hearing it from their friends. How many know they ought to hear it from God's perspective? Can I have a big amen? It's going to be tasteful. It's going to be tasteful. Uh, I will assure you of that, parents, but I, but I am going to look into the scripture, and I'm going to talk to you about a critically important area to the marriage relationship and something that has been twisted and taken out of context in our culture, all right? We're also, I'm really fired up about this, we're also going to do a message. I've never done a whole weekend message on singles, to singles. Our church has a lot of single people. We have people that are single again as well, and I want to equip you. I want to talk to you because here's what the percentages say. The percentages say is that those of you that aren't married will be married, the percentages, and those of you that are divorced will be remarried again. So here, here's what I wanna do. I wanna talk to you about how to save your marriage before it starts. I wanna talk to you how to equip you, how, how to empower you, and, and really how to make the most of, of your time as being, as being a single. And so it's gonna be a great, great message. Uh, I'll trust that you guys will be encouraged uh, and equipped by that today. And our message, I wanna go back to the basics, I wanna go back to scripture, and I wanna talk, talk about real life purpose. What is the purpose according to God's design? What is the purpose of marriage? Before we do that, I read something recently about a four-year-old girl named Susie, uh, who had just read and heard the story of uh, uh, Snow White for the very first time. She could hardly wait to get home and to talk to her mom about it. She was all fired up about it. She talked to her and said, Mom, I gotta tell you what we read today in school. And after relating how Prince Charming had arrived on the scene, this beautiful white horse, and kissed Snow White, she came back to life, Susie asked loudly, do you know what happened then? Yes, said her mom. They all lived happily after, Susie said. The mom said, no, they got married. <clears throat> now that lady doesn't go to this church, but I'm just telling you right now, the fact is, that's how some people feel. Oh yeah, I was supposed to be happily ever after. By the way, I've done that many, many, many times. Or I've looked in the eyes of a couple and I've said something like this. I've said, by the power invested in me by the state of Louisiana and asking for divine sanction, I now pronounce you husband and wife. 
he may kiss the bride. And there's that moment, there's that happily ever after moment where couples believe and think, and that's what they're believing and trusting for, for a happily ever after marriage. And then some challenges come, some struggles come, some pressure, some financial pressure. Start having children, and man, this thing's getting a little bit complicated. We know children are a gift from God, but yet, wow, these things. Are, and then there's a, maybe a sickness that happens or, or something. There's a, there's a turn of events. And so the question is, is it possible to still have a happily ever after marriage even when things change, even when things shift? Here's the deal. If I did a marriage satisfaction poll today, if, if I just asked, you know, if you could rate your marriage, where, where would it be? I believe there would be three distinct categories. Number one, some of you would say, being honest, some of you would say, man, I'm going to tell you, marriage, my marriage, I'll be honest, pastor, it's really, it's, it's doing well. That's not to suggest that we don't have any challenges, but, but our marriage is good, we're growing, we're in love with one another, we're, we're, really, we're really applying what scripture says, and I, I tell you, we're, we're really experiencing what we think is the fullness of joy. We can get better but we're doing pretty good. All right, that would be a category. There's another category. It's another category that would say this. Here's what they would say. Some of you would say, well, we're not hitting it out of the park. We're getting on base. It's okay. We're not in crisis. It's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. But we're definitely looking for room for improvement. I mean, we, 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 we know that there's more. When we look to the word, when we look in the lives that we know intimately of other couple friends, friends of ours, they're experiencing a dimension of marriage, just to be honest, Steve, we're, we're, not, we're not experiencing it. Number three, there's a third group, and I wanna be very sensitive here, but there's a third group that um, you guys are hurting. Fact is, you got a flyer, you're on our email list, and, or maybe you've been in the church for a while and yet you're, you're, you're on, you're, you are on, you're on the edge and your marriage is, it is in trouble. And here's what you said. You even prayed a sacred prayer. God, I'm going to go for the next month. I'm going to go hear the preacher. I'm going to go hear Pastor Steve. I'm going to, I'm going to try my hardest, but God, if something doesn't change, radically change at the end of this series, I, I, I don't, I don't know what else I can do. I may have to push the eject, but all right, let me just say this for those couples that have come, or, or maybe you've come by yourself and your husband or wife is at home, here's, here's what I'm going to say to you. I believe the Bible is true when it says all things are possible. I've seen marriages, man, that have been seemingly shipwrecked. It seems like it's over and God starts working and massaging the heart. And all of a sudden there comes a humility and a, a willingness to work together. And I'm believing that every couple in our church that's on the edge and about to push to Egypt, I'm believing for total restoration. How many of y'all are believing for that? That's what I'm believing for. I'm believing it's possible. There's so many couples that God has done that with. So you have this beginning marriage, you have the happily ever after. And, and I just thought before we get into the scripture, I just thought I want to talk to you about five fairy tale busters. I want to talk to you about some things, some unexpected things that maybe you didn't anticipate going in. Maybe you had pre-marriage counseling, maybe you didn't. But there's some things that happen and some shifts that happen and some things that have rocked you a little bit. Now, I'm going to be identifying the challenges and the problems. I'm not necessarily going to be defining the solutions till I get into the message and in the weeks to come. But, but I want to talk to you about five fairy tale busters. Number one, and I'm going to ask you to follow along your notes. You have them right here. All of our campuses, our South Shore Gulf Coast online here at Little Creek 
Uh, we've, I put notes. We give free notebooks. I'd love for you guys to be able to follow along, take notes. Number one, first, fairy tale buster. Difficult adjustments. Difficult adjustments. See, the truth is, maybe you feel like you and your spouse came from different worlds, maybe different planets. I mean, you grew up and, and your family was like, leave it to Beaver, little house on the prairie. And then you got into this thing and you found out that, that, that your spouse's family is more like the Jerry Springer show. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, a yell, scream, hit. I mean, it's, just, it's just like wild. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't, I didn't even know this was, I didn't even know people live like this. So now, now you're in a situation, it's like, wow, I've, I've, there's gotta be some adapting and we, we've gotta figure this thing out. This is an adjustment. Maybe it's religious background. You came from a particular denomination or you had no religious background and, and your spouse did and so you're trying to figure this whole thing out and you've tried out different churches. You're trying to figure out where do we fit and trying to get on the same page and, and, and it's tough. Hey, hey, here's another one. Maybe, maybe you came from a home where your dad or mom was older and maybe they lived through the depression or maybe a grandparent was around you and, and you are a saver slash miser saver and your spouse is a spender slash go for it spender. They're in therapy, that's right. It's called retail therapy. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, wait, 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 time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, wait, 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 time out, time out. You, you can't be doing this. You can't, and so, so there's a, there's, there, you're from different backgrounds. You got some adjustments going on. You're not on the same page. Maybe you're in a blended family situation right now. And you went through a broken situation, a divorce, and the Lord's restored your heart, and, which we believe is absolutely possible. If God's given you another chance and you've met somebody wonderful and yet they had a few children and you have a few children in the and the complications of them being with you 50% and then this and then this, but yet the ex over here and they don't like this one and so, and you can't really correct this one because, and, and it's, 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 it's complicated. We're gonna be addressing some of that, by the way, because here's what I believe. I believe the Bible is filled with principles. Everybody say principles, say promises, say solutions. I believe the Bible is filled with principles and promises and solutions. Every challenge that we have in life, every challenge we have in life, there's a principle in scripture we can apply. There's a promise in the Bible we can find. And there's a solution in God's economy. There's a solution. God is a solution mind. He wants to help us. Number two, an inability to resolve conflict. This is a, this is a fairy tale buster big time. I never forget a number of years ago, I heard Dr. James Dobson, who was the, um, the founder of Family Research Council. And here's what he said, a conflict-free marriage is an illusion. It's not kind of like you, you, you hear some people talk about, I want to live a stress-free life. That's impossible. You can live a less stressed life. We shouldn't live under chronic stress, but you can't live stress-free. There's everything is, there's an element of stress in the same way. If there's no conflicts in marriage, somebody's hiding. It's not conflict-free. It's conflict followed by resolution. Does that make sense? Where you have the skill set, where you know how to, where you don't scream and throw things and you, 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 you know how to resolve differences. The fact is, is that an inability to resolve conflict, you know what happens? I, I read about a, a sociologist, John Cotton, it's actually a social scientist, University of Washington. Here's what he said. He found the, the inability to resolve conflicts 
is more destructive to marriage than sexual issues, financial strain, and communication. Why? Because these little, see here it is. You have a little conflict unresolved, then another little one, then another little one, then another, and they build up. It's like a bursting of a dam. See, here's the deal. Conflicts with healthy resolve can actually be a marriage builder rather than a marriage buster. You can grow closer as you walk through it. You can resolve conflict. Question is, do you have the skill set? Do you understand what God's principles are, God's promises? Do you know how to resolve conflict? We're going to be talking about that in the series. We're going to be equipping you guys from Scripture. I'll be honest, when I, early in my marriage, that was one of the things that, that I've really had to learn how to do with my wife is resolve conflict because, you know, some people are stuffers, some people are gushers. I don't stuff, I gush. In other words, I talk and talk and process. My wife and I, we get in a conflict, I'd process and over-process and process. Finally, I just wear her down three o'clock in the morning. She's like, you're fine, whatever, you're right. I mean, it's just, I was over-processing. So you could also over-over-process to try to resolve over and over and, and over. We're gonna talk about that. Number three, the third fairy tale buster is what I call performance-driven mindsets. Maybe you or your spouse, you came into marriage and your view of marriage is where you tend, watch this, where you tend to compare and contrast. The problem is you compare, here it is, you compare your strength against your spouse's weakness. Do you know how unfair that is? It happens all the time. We all do it from time to time. You have a strength. We all have a unique set of strengths and weaknesses. And so what happens is we compare our strengths. Uh, you, well, you may be better with finances than this person. You may be better with this than this. And so, so what happens is if you're performance-minded and you enter in, you have a tendency to evaluate your strength against their weakness, and, and it ends up being in contempt and criticism. You peck them to death. You just peck and peck and peck. Well, I'm just better. If you'd be better in this or that. The problem is, is that everybody's got strengths, but everybody's got weaknesses. And if your performance, it can really erode the self-esteem, the self-worth of, of your spouse. You talk about letting the steam out of the dream quickly it can become from that. Number four, self-absorption in this type of marriage. And this is a fairy tale buster. You married somebody, whether you married them like that or that they became like that, they're self-absorbed. There's a tendency where they put all of their energy on themselves, on their body, their finances, their needs, their hobby, their job. And that person becomes more and more difficult. I don't know anybody married to somebody that's highly self-absorbed say, you know what's amazing about you? I've noticed the pattern. The more self-absorbed you become, the easier it is to be around you. That doesn't happen. Y'all realize that. It's actually just the opposite. It's like, it's hard to fit in the room with you, just to be honest. Nothing wrong with grooming yourself. Well, nothing wrong with working hard on your job. But when, when, it becomes, when life becomes all about you, it's narcissistic. When it's me, myself, and my, does, does, does that make sense? Self-absorption, it's a big killer in marriage. Number five, and then we'll jump into scripture, is extramarital affairs. Now, time out for a minute, because immediately you go to the sexual thing, which we'll deal with in a second. But did you know that you can have emotional affairs? What is an emotional affair, Pastor? Here it is. It's when you share the deep parts of your heart, you share maybe even secrets, and you, in, you inordinately bond with someone of the opposite sex to get a need met through them that should be met through God and your spouse. And you start to look for them at work and you start to connect and you start to have that little adrenaline drip in your, and it kind of makes you, and you kind of seek them out. And what, what's happening is, because we have to work with the opposite sex all the time, isn't that right? But the question is, are you getting your needs met appropriately from God and from your spouse? That's your ultimate protection of your heart. 
So an emotional affair, what happens is you connect, now you've got this bond, and then it can immediately, it can easily slip into a love affair. What is that? Whenever you try to meet legitimate needs illegitimately outside of the context of the relationship, the spouse that you have, and it becomes sexualized. Well, you know what ends up happening there. There's lots of mistrust. There's lots of stuff that happens. Well, how about this one? Here's another one. This is a little bit of a different one. A career affair. Ooh, a career affair. What do you mean, pastor? I marry my job? Yeah. When you're, when making the next deal, closing the deal, listen, there's nothing wrong with working hard. I work hard, but I'm gonna tell you something is that if you're attempting to get your needs met in your job, over against God and your spouse. See, here's the thing. That's the ultimate protection of your heart. A career affair is where somebody is, their mistress is their job. And, and this can go, go, go male or female, where, where a wife is married to her job or vice versa, all right? So there's nothing wrong with working hard, but, 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 but it's an inordinate affection where your spouse gets the leftovers and not your best. Does that make sense? Here's another one. Not, not, not only career affair, but you also have materialism affair. Some people are just addicted to stuff. Nothing wrong with stuff, but, but it's where's your heart passion, whether it's cars or toys or clothes or, or just extra. It's just, there's just, and what happens is you're trying to meet a void in you. There's a void. L let me give you the last one, activity affair. Do you know how hard it is to emotionally bond? And I dealt with this in my own life with my wife where I, I was addicted to adrenaline. Some of you guys know that four years ago, I really came to an, a, a, kind of a moment of, of reality, of just realization that I needed to shift some things. What happens is we can fill our schedules up so much where we, where we inordinately bond with activity. The problem is when you inordinately bond with activity, you don't normally in a healthy way bond with your spouse. Remember this, your greatest, listen, this is important. The greatest person in the world, the greatest uh, person we should please, number one is the Lord and number two is our spouse. From there, our life stays in balance. Anything outside of that, it can get out of whack. Anything outside of that. Now, Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter two. If we were gonna build a house, the first thing you do when you build a house is you look at architectural plans, right? I know we've got a lot of builders in the church, a lot of great builders. And, I mean, no builder goes there, they got some subs and they're all around, hey, hey, hey. Y'all put a bathroom over there. I don't know, expand that room just a little bit. No, no, you work, watch this, you work from a set of blueprints, you work, and, and, so, and so a wise builder works off of a set of blueprints. The problem is many people don't realize that God has given us a blueprint for marriage. God's given us architectural plans for marriage in this book. The problem is a lot of people are just trying to, hey, um, put that there, but they're not, walking, they're not working off the blueprint. Are y'all with me? See, God has given us a fantastic blueprint called the Scripture. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words. Everyone say it, but my what? Words will never pass away. I want to talk to you about God's original design for marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. The very first book of the Bible, second chapter. This is God's blueprint that we want to work off of today. Matter of fact, we want to work off of it the next month. Matter of fact, and the month after that, and the month after that, as we're building our marriages, we want to do it God's way, all right? And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. 
And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took, this is going to become really important, he took one of his what? Say it, ribs. Notice what he didn't take, and notice what he did take, and where he took it from. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Two more verses. Therefore, here it is. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Last verse. And they were both naked and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. What a beautiful picture of God's original intention. In the created order, God's original creation Man and woman shared one identity, one complete unity. One flesh is going to become really important in a moment. Watch this. The Hebrew word for man, ish, and the word for woman, isha. Ish and isha. Marriage from God's design, from the very beginning of time, God's blueprint, from the very beginning, was for one man and for one woman to come together in marriage. Marriage, by the way, is God's design. That's a Bible word. It's a, it's a Bible concept. It's a Bible concept, marriage between one man and one woman. I want to just add something here real quick. It's really important to note as well in our culture is that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's biblical. Just remember that. Just because something is legal, we're not trying to align our lives according to culture. We want to make sure that we always align our lives according to Scripture. Does that make sense? Very, very important. So they were partners, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were partners, and they came together as one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. So important that you understand this. If I could get one concept across in the next five weeks is this. The enemy fights the oneness in your marriage. That, that's what he's attacking. He'll try to do anything. Why? Because a, a house divided against itself, it can't stand. And that's why marriage, listen, you, you have to understand, and Adam and Eve, they came together in oneness, and they were partners, number one, in life, number two, in love, and number three, in light. If you have your notes, I'm going to ask you to take them out. I want to talk to you about these three aspects of partnership in the marriage. The marriage covenant, that, that from very, very beginning, we're working off of God's blueprint, three aspects of marriage from God's design. Number one, Adam and Eve were partners in life. Look at Genesis chapter two, verse 18. Watch this, this is really cool. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And what God's talking about in this concept is a concept of relationship, intimacy, and oneness. I want you to think about this for a moment. Adam had God and all the animals and he had the Garden of Eden, and he could go anywhere he want. He could do whatever he want. There's just one tree. Obviously, we talked about the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, but, but he had a lot. But when he looked down, God, he looked down, he says, it's not good that he's alone. So what does he do? The Bible says is that he makes a helpmate for Adam. Now, I want to 
unpack that word because there's been a lot of guys that I believe that have used that out of context where they so, some, somewhat to say or to suggest that their wife is in fear. Well, you're my helper. Time out. The word help means to gird, to strengthen, to encourage. But listen to me. I don't believe the Hebrew word helpmate, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's not to suggest that the wife is inferior. It actually more suggests the man is inadequate without her help. Come on, ladies. That was a good say, time to say amen. Listen to me. This is so important. This is so important. The word helper that is used for the woman, ladies, you're going to love this, is the exact word that God uses of himself in the book of Psalms. Guys, I mean, we need a lot of help. The Bible says that, that God, God made a helper comparable. Everyone say comparable. Now, what does that mean? It is a, it is that, that husbands and wives, we're not to compete with one another, but in a complementary relationship, we're to complement one another. In other words, you have gifts that she doesn't have, and she has gifts and talents that you don't have. And so, so we're not to compete, but we are to complete one another by way of a family function. I have things you don't have, honey. You have things that I don't have. And as we work together in harmony, we push the ball down the field together. Adam and Eve, God, God made them. There was, there was strengths in Adam that were not in Eve and, and vice versa. Now, I, I, this took me a while to learn early in my marriage. I, I, I really, I, and I'm really, gosh, embarrassed to say some of this. I'm the preacher, so I guess the, the pastor, I gotta, I'm gonna use a lot of my own illustrations, but I'll be honest, in the beginning of the marriage, I, I actually try to make Jennifer in my own image. In other words, I try to kind of fit her into my mold and kind of how I like to do things. And let me just explain something. You know, people think, wow, no, Pastor Steve. No, you don't. The only place in my life that I'm spontaneous is when I speak. My life is very rigid. It's very structured. I do the same things. I have much like order. I'm, I'm early. I do think, I don't, there's, I, I, get, I, I get nervous of chaos. I get nervous when things get out of order. Call it dysfunction. Call it personality. Call it God. Call it the devil. Call it how God. I don't know. That's just how I operate. My wife. <laughs> you know that word, all things are possible? with Jen. All things are possible. With my, I mean, she's just, she's free spirited. She flows. She, I mean, in early in our marriage, she just be like, Hey, let's go do this. And I'm like, wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Time out, time out, time out. And, and so I tried to box her in with things. And, and so, and she's totally different in how she interacts because I'm structured. She's not. Now it's not the suggestion that she's not at all, but I'm way more. God spoke to me one time. I think it's God. I'm pretty sure it was God. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, God speaks to me through the Bible all the time. And every now and then I hear that small inward voice. I feel the peace of God. This may have been an inner audible voice. I think that God spoke to me one time and said, without her, you're boring. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was God. I think it was God. I'm not sure. I think so. Kind of hurt my feelings. But anyway, Don't despise the differences in your spouse. God created her, ma'am. God created him differently. Now, now, notice, notice what was taken out of Adam. This is huge. She wasn't taken out of his heel to be stepped on, out of his head to be lorded over mentally, but out of his side to walk alongside of him to be a partner in life. Wow. 
It's so beautiful when you see a couple and they're just, they're clicking. It's just, it's just he's strong where she's weak and she's strong where he's weak. Now, let's talk about function for a moment. Just want to touch one more thing. Is it biblical? Is it biblical to say that a man should be the head of the home? Is that biblical? The spiritual head of the home. Is that biblical? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Because a lot of guys have used this. They're not spiritual, but they used it by way of function. But, but there's a caveat here, sir. It's spiritual head. But I want you to know, Paul says, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So the man, by way of function and role, is to be the spiritual head of the home. Well, what does that mean? I know some guys, and I understand, you know, I'm a guy that some, some guys say, you know what, she takes care of the spiritual things, I take care of that. No, I think that actually needs to switch. I think that you need to take leadership, sir, the spiritual direction of the family. I think you need to engage spiritually because if we want to lead our wives spiritually, we have to be spiritual. Everybody say partners in life. God's intention is that a man and woman come together to share their hearts, their lives, their passions, their intention, and that's the outworking of God's plan. Number two, not only are they partners in life, but they're partners in love. There's a love flow that happens in a marriage relationship between a husband and wife. Genesis 2, 22 to 23, then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he had made into woman. And he had brought her, he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she was taken out of man. Now, Adam had God, again, had God, hit all the animals. And God said, I'm gonna make a helpmate someone that's comparable to him, to run with him in life, to walk with him in life, to enjoy life together, to share life together, and to share love together. Don't miss this, to share love together. And what God did is God gave to Adam a priceless gift. God gave. God gave Eve. See, if we do not see our spouse, and it goes both ways, ladies, you, you have to see this towards your husband. If you don't see your spouse as a gift, if you put them through a grid of performance, if you despise who they are, if you don't see them as a gift, that God sovereignly gave you a spouse as a gift. Now, let me pause, let me qualify, because immediately some of you say, ha, hold on, pastor. I met him when we were heathens. I mean, we were down at Ruby Roadhouse. I mean, we were just over there. We were just, there was nothing about Jesus. God's the Alpha and the Omega. How many of you think God, do you think that like when you got saved, God went, who are you? Where have you been? Hiding? Montana? Come here, let me see you. I think God is so big and God is so grand God knows everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. God arranges and God allows and God works in every situation, whether you're saved and unsaved. I believe that God can do that. And let me tell you something. Let me say, God's plan, isn't it amazing? Even after you get saved, you begin to realize, that was, I don't even know how this happened. I don't even know how. I'm gonna tell you, God's involved. God's involved. The fact of the matter is that we have to see our spouse as a gift from God husbands and wives. See, if not, you have what the world has. It's called, if you marriage, I'll love you. If you do this, I'll love you. If you don't do that, I won't love you. If you do this really well, I'll really love you. 
If you don't do it, see, that's called conditional love. Isn't that right? That's not seeing your spouse as a gift. That's seeing your spouse as, well, they're on a performance treadmill. Well, how does God love us? They how God loves us. By the way, there's three dimensions of love in the scripture. There's eros love, physical love. There's phileo love, emotional love. And there's agape love. It's unconditional. Here's what the agape love. God loves us with agape love. And he commands us to love our spouse with agape love. It's unconditional, unfathomable, immeasurable love that comes from God through us to our spouse. So in other words, we don't withhold. We extend. We love in spite. Ooh, that's tough. Wow. Well, pastor, you don't know my spouse. I don't, but God does. I've had ladies that have said, pastor, is it crazy? I just didn't like him, but I just started loving him. Started praying for him. I didn't preach to him as much as I did before. I just started loving him. And it's amazing. He's becoming the person that I always dreamed he could be. See, there's something about when when you feel loved, and you, you feel that in the depth of your being. But what do we do? We withhold. We withhold and we get into this performance thing. Some of you guys have heard this story that I said years ago. It was a story between my wife and I. And there's so many new people in our church. I just thought it'd be appropriate. I Talking about withholding, I, I remember my wife and I, about year three or four of marriage, we got into a, a healthy discussion. <laughs> it's an argument. Preachers won't admit it. It's an, it's an, it's an argument. It's a healthy discussion. And, you know, we kind of got in this thing, you know, a little bit and kind of ramped up a little bit and, um, and, and started, started arguing. You know, and I said some things I shouldn't have said and she said things she really shouldn't have said, but she did. And so we kind of hurt one another with that. And she actually said in the middle of it, she goes, you know what you need to do? I went, what? She goes, you ought to just go pray about it. I'm like, leave God out of this. I mean, that's what I felt like saying, you know, <laughs> don't you dare. You know, you ought to, she told me that, you ought to just go pray. You ought to go into the room and pray about it. I'm like, you're not going to be the second woman in my life sends me to my room. I just thought I'd just share that, you know. <laughs> okay, I mean, I graduated from that. Come on, you know, but so what do I do? What do you think I did? I, I went to my room and prayed. But anyway, so, <laughs> you old bad self. But anyway, I wanted to come back in the room tonight. So I, I, I went back and, I, and I, I started praying. I'm embarrassed to say this. Started praying, I was like, Lord, you know what? This woman you gave me. Well, that's back in the garden, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I actually said this too. This is so embarrassing. I, I, I just voiced it out loud. I was like, God, you better be talking to her too. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be a jerk and pray. God started working on my heart. You know, it's like, all right, all right, all right, God, all right, God. I'm gonna go, you know, I'm gonna apologize to her. You know, so talking about not withdrawing. Because I'm gonna tell you, there's a moment there you, when you get kind of hurt, you're just like, I'm not gonna do it. She's gonna come to me. Don't look at me so stinking holy. You do it all the time. But anyway, I'm getting better. I told you that. There's that moment where husband or wife, where you've got to just cross over that line and say, I'm going to do the, here's what I learned about marriage. It's not who's right, it's what's right. It's what's right. Said, all right, I'm going to do it. Knock on the door, honey, Steve, I'm sorry. It's crazy. I was kind of a jerk. I didn't mean to be. You weren't real nice either. And so uh, I thought we should just kind of reconcile this deal and kind of get on. 
course, she doesn't respond. I'm like, all right. So I walk in the room and she's not there. I'm like, oh, okay, she's in the bathroom. I said, honey, I, so this is, you know, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I really am sorry. I just apologize. I shouldn't have done that. It's just crazy. And I'm sorry, I got, I don't know where I got that from, that attitude. It's probably generational. And so, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'm just really sorry, honey. I'm, you know, talking in the bathroom. I said, I'm just really sorry. Just please, please forgive me. Nothing, you know, I'm like, oh, she's, gosh, she's going to do this. I can't believe this. this is crazy. Honey, I just, you know, what do I need to do? Do I need to get down my knees? Do I need to just beg you for forgiveness? I'm sorry. I'm going to do this. I, I can't believe this, you know. And so I kind of get down on my knees like this, you know, and get down on my knees. And I said, honey, just please forgive me. You know, she's doing the cold shoulder thing. So I, I just, I'm going to go for it. I, honey, I'm so sorry. I just, I just kind of get down. I just said, honey, this is terrible. I said, if, if my boys ever find out about this, honey, I, I just... Honey, I'm going to have to read a Joyce Meyer book just to get over this rejection if you don't hurry. Please, you don't, you don't understand. Please forget. So finally, of course, she doesn't answer. You know, I'm just all upset. And so I, now I'm kind of getting mad again. And so I, it's kind of going to reverse here. So I just opened the door. I said, that's it, I'm coming in. And she's not there. I was like... That had no point, but I, I, oh, the point. There is a point. There's many points, actually. When we get hurt, we all get hurt. I get hurt. And there's that tendency, like a snail, to want to crawl into the shale, and, and, into your shell, and you want to, you want to, you want to protect yourself. We're partners in love. Yeah. Let me give you this last and final thing. And again, I, I'm going to be touching all this over five weeks. So we're just, I'm just on the surface. You don't want to miss next week. Partners in light. So we're partners in life, in love, and in light. I got about three or four minutes and we'll close. Everybody hang with me. Partners in light. Watch this. Genesis 2.25. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Why were they not ashamed? Well, number one, Genesis 3 is where sin enters the world. And Adam and Eve, they walked, watch this, in an openness. Please, please listen, it's so important. In an openness, in a transparency, in a vulnerability, until sin and selfishness entered the marriage. Why is it so important, Pastor, to confess our sins? Because we don't want anything breaking our relationship with God, messing it up, or messing up our relationship with those that we love. I'm realizing one of the secrets of a good marriage is just to be a quick repenter. Just, I'm sorry, forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. I was wrong. Because when, 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 when sin and selfishness enters in there, I'm telling you, it, it, it opens the door and again, I'll be honest and say, my marriage is not where I want it to be, but it's not where it used to be. I've gotten better. I've grown. And let me tell you the number one reason why it's gotten better. Number one, number one, is because I'm learning to yield and humble myself and not act so selfish. I've said so many selfish things over the years, and I'm just like in shock. I'm learning that a great marriage is about consistently humbling yourself and consistently clinging to Christ. Now, I want to say just a couple of things as we close. 
I believe that there's no sin too great that God can't forgive. I also know that when you sin against your spouse, that it takes some time to walk through. Be a quick repenter, ask for forgiveness and give them some time. Just be consistent and love them and care for them. And you're earning some trust, you're earning some credibility. I don't give anybody permission where we hold back, but I also know that if we do something really dumb, sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but just be consistent. But the number one thing that I wanna talk about during this series is how it is that we can lay down our selfishness, we can lay down our pride, and we can learn how to communicate, we can learn how to reconcile. Irreconcilable differences, a lot of that's just somebody's unwilling to humble themselves. Listen, relationships, we've gotta to learn to humble ourselves. And by the way, the principles of marriage, it's amazing how so many of them apply to your work relationships, to your relationships with kids, to, to just across the board. I wanna to talk to people that are divorced just for a moment. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. I believe that God can forgive, God can restore, and I believe with all of my heart that God can give another chance. I've seen it in our church. But I also know this, that if you go through divorce, and if we don't learn the proper skills and the proper tools, here's what I also know. I also know that there's a great percentage and a possibility that there may be a repeat experience. So if you have gone through divorce, I want you to come to be equipped, to be challenged, so that you can be, watch this, so that you can save your marriage before it starts again. My last thing is this. I believe that God loves us, man. I believe that God cares so deeply about us. And I want you to know, I'm gonna be praying every day for couples that are on the verge. I mean that, they're just, they're right, they're, they're just teeter right here. And I'm gonna be standing in the gap. I'm gonna be putting these messages together. I'm gonna be praying. And I am believing for miracles from heaven for transformed marriages at the end of these five weeks. Come on, how many of y'all are gonna pray with me and believe for that? Let me pray with you right now. You're in this place today and you do not know Christ. You're not sure about your relationship with Jesus. You're not sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God. Our altar is gonna be open in just a moment. People are gonna be here, would love to minister to you. Matter of fact, our altar is open for anybody that needs prayer for anything. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the word of God, the principles and the promises of God's word. Lord, teach us how to humble ourselves. Teach us how to love our spouse, those that are married. God, those that are single, to, to learn these truths, to, 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 to grow in you and an inner stability and strength. Lord Jesus, I bless your people. God, those that are struggling in their marriage, God, I'm asking for miracles. God, I'm asking that you would do what no, what no one else has been able to do. God, that you would come and soften that heart. You would come and heal that heart. You would come and work your grace in their soul. Lord, I bless your people as they go forth this day. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said. We give the Lord a hand clap. Can we do that? We love you guys. Have a wonderful weekend.